If you were to attend any Grand Fondo, Grand Tour, or local Sunday morning group ride, chances are you'd notice the aero wave, as I like to call it. An abundance of overly aerodynamic bicycle frames, apparel, and components on display, which begs the question, why? Why have aerodynamics become such a major priority for so many cyclists? Is this about cycling manufacturers trying to squeeze more money out of us punters, Or is there some validity behind the growing movement to get as aero as possible? The short answer is yes, aerodynamics matter. They matter a lot. In more practical and scientific terms, anywhere between 70 to 90% of cyclists' effort when not climbing a steep grade is dedicated to plowing through the air. Anyone, hardened pro and new rider alike, who is interested in riding faster or further has a vested interest in improving their aerodynamics. It's that simple. Determining which bicycles, components, and positions are truly the most aerodynamic for you, however, is anything but simple. This is Semi-Pro Cycling. I'm Damien Roos. Today, a show about the relentless pursuit of cycling aerodynamics. It's a story about one master's rider's quest for speed, world championships, and a world record. It's a story about using aero testing to hunt for 2.1 seconds and ultimately adding over 3 miles an hour or 5 kilometers an hour of speed with no increase in power. And finally, it's about how you can start on a similar aero journey today. Try to find these two seconds. And the thing with this event is after the standing start, it really only comes down to this power to aerodynamic drag ratio how fast you're going in the track. So you're making a certain number of watts and then your aerodynamic drag coefficient is, is what, is what defines how, you know, how much resistance you're fighting. So if I could reduce this aerodynamic drag coefficient by about 15 watts, I'd have the record. And it's more easily said than done. This is Dean Phillips, a 42 year old cyclist, father of four and bike fit business owner from Peabody, Massachusetts in the USA. And as Jim Manton from ERO Sports says, Dean, is the perfect example of what's possible when you really work on your position. Why? Because in aero terms, Dean has worked on his aerodynamic drag, which is also called CDA, but I'll explain that bit in a little bit more detail later on. Reducing his CDA from 0.227 in 2015 to a CDA of 0.19 in 2007. In real-world terms for Dean's pet event, the 3K Pursuit, This added over three miles per hour or five kilometers per hour of speed with no increase in power. The fascinating thing about these numbers is Dean's size. He's a big guy, a 1.9 meter, six foot three inch cyclist weighing 95 kilograms. His broad shoulders come from rowing where at 21, he was a U23 world championship rower Moving over to triathlon after ruptured discs in his lower back ended his rowing career early. It was in triathlon where Dean's obsession with aero was born. He started competing at a professional level and began field testing his position for aero gains. As an early adopter of the power meter, he was soon field testing everything he could think of and now riding much faster on the same power and setting local time trial and bike course records from all of the aerodynamic improvements. He left triathlon after more back pain and injuries to start bike racing in 2012, going from a Cat 5 to a Cat 1 in only two years, subsequently winning the 2014 National Time Trial Championships for his age group, Masters 35-39. to 
after this win, Dean's focus switched from time trials to individual pursuit on the track, which for a Masters 35 plus rider is a three kilometer race. It's a race that Dean chose based on his power profile, which told him he was a pursuiter. When I got a power meter, I think Andy Coggin or Hunter Allen, some, one of them made these power profile charts and you, where you power test yourself in five seconds all the way up to an hour. And my power profile was always a pursuiter profile where I was very strong across the five minute, three to five minute range. So I always knew I'd be strong in this event if I figured it out. And figure it out, he did, winning both the 2014 and 2015 national titles as well as the team pursuit title. This sent him over to Manchester, England to compete in the World Masters Track Championships, where he won the 40 to 44 age group World 3K Individual Pursuit title. But, and this is an important but for our story, he missed out on the world record. So my, so my winning time was actually two seconds from the world record. So there I am, I have this rainbow jersey. Uh, which I thought that was it. <laughs> I made this trip. I've been at the very top. I've won a you know, rainbow jersey in cycling, something I really only dreamed of. And then immediately the next week, yeah, I'm already thinking, well, how, how can I get these two seconds? I wonder if I'm fast enough. When my time was 327.1, the, the world record for my age group was 324.9. And that led to this, it didn't start the journey because the journey has been going for 15 years, but there was this, this latest chapter of the journey where I started documenting all the testing I was doing. So for Dean, this is where his relentless pursuit of cycling aerodynamics started. And for us, this is also where the story starts. As Dean puts it, all you had to do was find another 15 watts of average power, reduce your aerodynamic drag coefficient from 0.227 to 0.220, or some combination of both. How hard could that be? Famous last words. Before we go any further, I want to address the fitness element of the cycling performance equation. You might be listening thinking, why doesn't he just train harder or differently? Let me tell you, Dean has tried everything training-wise, from low-volume, high-intensity, to high-volume, low-intensity, to intervals every day, to tempo every day, and in the end, he found himself making similar power for his key events. So in order to find the 2.1 seconds he needed to break the world record, Dean's focus became aerodynamics. There are other things he considered and tested, including rolling resistance, but the biggest wins would need to come from his aero position. CDA is another term for drag area. It's a measure of how efficiently you convert your power into forward speed, and the lower your drag area, the faster you'll go for the same level of effort. And I want to break it down just a little bit more. It doesn't get too technical, so stay with me here. CDA is also shorthand for CD times A. CD is the coefficient of drag. In other words, the force of wind or air resistance pushing in the opposite direction to the motion of the object. In this case, the cyclist and the bike. A is the frontal area you project, the area that you're presenting to the wind while moving forward on your bike. Sit up, stand up, right on the hoods, right on the drops. These present a different frontal area to the wind every time you change positions. In a time trial or a pursuit, you're down on some form of aero bar. And so you have an idea of what the perfect aerodynamic position is. The average amateur cyclist presents a CDA of around 0.25 to 0.3 using aero bars. I hope this is painting a clear picture of how a bigger cyclist can really start with a disadvantage. 
it's not just about power to weight ratios here. It's also about power to aerodynamic drag ratio or power to CDA ratio. The higher the ratio, the faster you go. To give you some context, let's have a look at the values for the hour record, or as some of the attempts were deemed best human efforts. Not to derail the episode and get into the politics of the hour record, but until 2014, if you attempted an hour record with anything but a replica of Eddie Merckx's 1972 record-breaking bike, which had no aero bars, no aero wheels, then it was called a best human effort the heyday of which was in the 90s, where the flying Scotsman, Graham O'Brien, built a bike he called Old Faithful. He beat the record on that bike before the bike was banned. And then he built another bike that gave him a Superman position. And this gave him a CDA of 0.17, super low, phenomenal for anyone, let alone a guy that's 1.8 meters tall. In comparison, Eddie Merckx and his traditional position had a CDA of 0.26. Going down the list of best human efforts, there's Indurain in 94 producing 0.24 CDA. He's a big guy as well. Boardman in 1996 in the Superman position with a 0.18 CDA. And finally, legal world record in 2015 after the UCI changed the rules, Bradley Wiggins recorded a 0.22 CDA, about the same as Dean's starting point, 0.227 They happen to be the same height at 1.9 meters tall. And that's where the comparison ends, though. Wiggins weighed 69 kilograms for his hour record, 26 kilograms less than Dean. And I won't mention that Wiggins also held that position for 60 minutes rather than three minutes. Once you begin to understand the potential gains of error, whether by equipment changes or position changes to lower your CDA, you will go faster. But how can you test these things without a wind tunnel? The wind tunnel is the traditional and expensive aero testing ground. Well, you can test it with a power meter. And Dean is now a master at testing with a power meter, but it was a long process to get to where he is today. Probably 1999 or 2000, um, I had a power meter and it wasn't long that Jim Martin, a um, big aerodynamics uh, guru who's written a number of different uh, presentations. I saw him speak uh, at a cycling symposium about using your power meter to do aerodynamic testing. And he may have been using it as early as Project 96 in the 1990s, but it involved using a runway. All I had to do was find a flat stretch of road without cars. And you'd spend about an hour doing going back and forth on your bike at different speeds, uh, and you would download all the power data afterwards. And eventually, because of all the different speeds you used, um, the, the, the aerodynamic drag and the rolling resistance would vary at different rates. And you'd get your aerodynamic drag coefficient, but it was a lot of work. It would take a lot of time. It couldn't be that windy. You couldn't have passing cars. So finding a venue itself was very challenging. Uh, but that, it went from doing that all the way back then to now there's methods using, it's called the Chung method. Uh, Robert Chung first at least um, published a, a way to do it uh, where you use what he called a half pipe. You know, it's just a hill. You go down a hill and up a hill, turn your bike around and go back the other way. So you're continuously going down a hill, up a hill, the other side, back and forth. And there's software now, uh, Golden Sheet is the name, name of the software, and I believe it's still free to download it. They have a function called AeroLab that does all of this for you. So I can literally go out there and it's, it's much easier to find a venue to do it. And uh, I go early morning before cars are out there, usually Saturday morning. And 
now in less than an hour, I can test six, seven, eight positions on some, on some days, uh, which is like being in the, in the wind tunnel for, you know, six or seven for that whole hour. Uh, so it's a, it's amazing. And you get addicted to it. You get every time you're going out looking for new gains. And over the years, you're gradually finding a faster and faster position uh, that truly brings me to where I am today uh, with one of the, uh, the most aerodynamic positions out there for somebody my size. As Dean mentions, testing can be a lot of work, not only because of the conditions, but also because of the sheer number of things there are to test. Dean has field tested about 500 setups at this point, so his protocol and results are all pretty tight. Countless trips in full aero getup, and we're talking about changes such as hand position, thumbs forward, visor position, aero bar placement, skin suits, wheels, stem lengths. So he has to test, then pack up, stash it away, and then come back, unpack, and test again and again, doing this process again and again. I think Saturdays was his chosen day to do it. It was interesting. All of last year, 2016, I spent a lot of time field testing. Uh, I tested different positions, different skin suits, different helmets, all kinds of different positions. So I'm literally, so picture being in the same position, but I'm holding my hands higher, or I'm pushing my thumbs forward, or I'm squeezing my shoulders together, or I'm holding my head up a little lower, a little higher. It's not all smooth sailing, though. Some days you find no gains, as Dean explains. I'll go and I'll spend hours testing. And you come back, you analyze all the data. There's really nothing there. You didn't find anything faster. I'll, I'll test more things that are slower now than I do that are faster. And I'll have an equal amount of mornings where I go out and test something. And uh, you just can't tell if one thing's faster than the other, whether it's a visor on a helmet or changing your head position or uh, trying to change the tilt of your forearms, that kind of thing. You test, you test, you test, you, you, you analyze the data after, and it's just unclear. Or very frustrating days, you'll test one thing, you'll change something, that tests a little faster, then you'll go back, and that tests faster. You're like, wait a minute. and Because uh, actual temperature and uh, wind conditions can change a little bit. So some days it can be very challenging to, um, to find those gains. With all this testing, Dean did find some gains. And at the 2016 Track World in Manchester, his total CDA was 0.221, a nice jump from 0.227. But did he have enough for a world record? I knew I'd in the ballpark of a couple seconds of a faster aerodynamic position. So I I go all the way back to England uh, to race in the 2016 uh, Masters Track Worlds and I focus everything on my qualifying heat because the way this works is you have to race in a qualifying heat uh, to make the final. So there's about 26 entries, if I remember. A lot of European guys. I was actually, there's only two American guys uh, there. And uh, I went all out because I knew the qualifying heat was my chance to, to contest the world record. And if you qualify in the top two times, you race again in the final, which is about five hours later. And you're very, very going to go slower. Both guys typically go a little bit slower, two seconds slower is typical. So I went, I, I paced it very well in hindsight. I went as fast as I possibly could in that qualifying heat. And I was above my world record pace for literally till the very last lap. I remember it was trailing off and you think about a number of things during this thing, but I knew entering the last lap, my 11th lap had slipped and I just, it, it was, um, I kind of knew at that point I was going to miss it. And I ended up seven tenths of a second short. Um, I, so I rolled a 325.7. The world record is a 324.9. But that qualified me for the final. And I, was, I had a good four or five seconds over the Rob West, who's the new uh, British uh, Masters National Champion in this event. So this is going to be a big final against him. And at that point, I just focused on the final. I ended up winning the final uh, for, the, for my second Rainbow jersey in that event. 
So while he collected that second rainbow jersey, he was short of the world record time, this time by less than a second, a blink of an eye. Ouch. How did he feel about missing it by so little? I was very happy with it. I documented it. I I wrote articles about it. You know, how do you miss by so little? And uh, I even described there was a difference in air density. So here we are in this velodrome that's temperature controlled. How could how could the weather have any impact? And it actually does. If I show that if I race the day before, there was a low pressure front. Uh, the track conditions were a little over a second faster alone. Or if I raced them the year before when I, you know, it was seven tenths of a second, something like that. Uh, but it, I realized at that point it was the journey. It didn't really matter. I enjoy this process of trying to, um, to reach this world record. And I, and I fell short. And I went as fast as you could that day. I felt I paced it as well as I could have. And, and that was that. Indeed, that was that. But of course, he kept going straight back into testing. This time, though, some indoor velodrome testing that had some surprising results. Then an opportunity came where I was able to test at a velodrome up in Canada, Ontario, Canada, very well uh, built, fast indoor velodrome. Um, and I was able to test different track frames. And to test different track frames, you want to use the same power meter. So I literally practiced switching with my mechanics, switching the SRM power meter crank set from one track bike to the other back and forth so I could do it in a timely fashion. And so there I am this past January of this year. I'm testing uh, two different track frames. I was testing different wheel sets, switching them back and forth in these very controlled conditions. And, and I found some more gains. Uh, I found there was an actual faster frame I could be using. Um, and a wheel set I had switched from was the one I ended up going back to. Uh, and I actually tested a faster aero bar as well, or what looked a little bit faster, but it was more of a wash. Interestingly, the setup he landed on was an older bike, a Cervelo T4 with zip wheels. I believe that's a 0.005. It was a very noticeable um, reduction in aerodynamic drag. And one of the first things I noticed, I do, I do testing so much. Sometimes you don't notice till you switch frames. When I first uh, did my laps in that frame, I remember thinking, I don't feel any drag on my legs. You're so used to this really soft feeling of wind hitting your knees. And I wasn't feeling anything. So there's something really special going on about that frame. It's a, it's a very thin frame and it does very well at zero yaw angle or no or not much crosswind uh and it's not like this frame was just designed last year this frame's been out a number of years i want to say 2010 or 2011 um but they did an incredible job designing that frame and for years i couldn't uh even race it because that my fastest position i couldn't match on it because i couldn't get the seat far enough back but Savella finally launched a seat post that allowed me to set up my saddle a bit more rearward uh, with the saddle I use. And that allowed me to finally test it last winter. That testing session alone lowered his CDA from 0.221 to 0.211. But that wasn't it for testing or aero gains because Dean had a once in a lifetime opportunity to test the felt TAFRD with Alpha Mantis and Velo News. And if you haven't heard about this bike, it's probably because it is so specific to pursuit. But it's a $26,000 bike. And up until this point, Dean has gone from 0.227 to 0.221 over two years and lots of tweaking. The number he was about to hit, though, is next level. So VeloNews was testing uh, the Felt TA-FRD, which is the, the new track bike felt design specifically for our women's Olympic team pursuit team. 
And they started dropping uh, records. Uh, they almost won the Olympic gold medal. They both lowered the world record in the process. Uh, but the British team beat them. But everything you heard about this bike was it was designed for one event for the pursuit. It was designed to only do left, uh, you know, left turn circles on the track. You know, one gear, one wheel set. Everything was designed together as a system. So um, it was a fascinating process. So I had the opportunity to test it against my current felt bike that I used for um, to set my first two world titles uh, with VeloNews. And it was a Chris Case, a um, senior editor of VeloNews. He had tested as well. So we were both test riders. And uh, so to me, it was a big deal. And in some ways, I was validating all this work I'd done all these years that really nobody saw. And this was a big, uh, you know, a big stage to do it on. And everybody was watching. So what's what was very exciting at the same time was a little bit stressful. There I am on the track, the Los Angeles Velodrome with a dozen guys there. We have news reporters. Uh, we have all the engineers that built the bike, hoping it does well. Uh, we have Aerosports, Jim Manton, who's done a tremendous amount of testing, uh, more world champions than I, I, I can I think anybody has at this point. He was doing all the data recording the, uh, for the aerodynamic testing, and I was doing the test riding. So one, and one of the first things that came from it is we, we would test ride our own bikes first. So I had my Felb, I had my SRM, and when I did my first uh, testing session, there, were, there, was a, there wasn't much talk, but there was this feeling like something wasn't right, uh, something wasn't calibrated, because my CDA uh, was coming back very low. Uh, I think it was a 0.22 or 0.216 at the time. For, and for a guy that's broad shoulders, 6'3", 200 pounds, um, he'd said he'd never seen that. So we, we, we recalibrated, we did it again. And uh, even at that point, it came back very low and they were just, wow. And I explained them, I've been doing this for 15 years. I've been testing everything. And this is the fastest possible position I've ever found. And it was actually lower than uh, Chris's CDA. And he's, you know, with, um, a phenomenal cyclist, but you know, he's a smaller guy. So you would think he had a lower drag than I did. But it wasn't until we got in the felt TA FRD and we tested again um, that my CDA came back at, uh, I want to say it was 0.19. It was very low. I was shocked. I thought something might be wrong, but the bike is, it's a phenomenal bike. It's so fast. And there was a bit of a celebration. Like nobody could believe it. And as Jim Mann had said, he's, I believe his exact words, I have never seen a guy your size with drag that low. Let's put this into perspective quickly. If you remember back to the hour records or the best human efforts I talked about earlier, Chris Boardman said a best human effort in the Superman position for a similar CDA. Boardman is 1.75 meters tall, 5 foot 9 inches, and he weighs 70 kilos, 154 pounds or so. In other words, a pro cyclist at the time who is shorter by 15 centimeters and lighter by 22 kilograms in a crazy and illegal position set the same CDA as Dean. Wow. In real terms, this is a saving of over 40 watts at his three kilometer race speed, about five seconds over the three Ks. That would surely help him set a new record, but here's the punchline. But that was a, that was a, a tremendous gain seeing how how fast that bike. And unfortunately I couldn't, um, they were so, um, it's a $26,000 bike. And even as a felt dealer, I wasn't able to get my hands on one. So back to the Cervelo T4 and back to the CDA of 0.211 for his next record attempt, which happened a couple of months later in July, 2017, where Dean was given an opportunity to make a special trip to a velodrome at altitude in Mexico. And an opportunity came up in July, uh, to go to this track in Aguascalientes, Mexico, where a number of world records had been set. 
Uh, the unique thing about this track was it, it's at 6,000 feet of elevation. Uh, so the air is less dense up there. You do make less power, but the way it works is you typically do ride a little bit faster uh, at this elevation. And um, Rob Van Howling, um, uh, he had organized an invitational event for master cyclists in the United States. Uh, when we had to go through all these hoops, um, application processes and there was drug testing there. Mexican Federation was there, USA Cycling, uh, the UCI. Uh, so he'd organized this tremendous amount of effort to reserve the track for a few days where 10 of us came down to literally attempt world records. You know, we were all in different age groups. It worked out well like that. And so on July 15, 2017, Dean Phillips went for the UCI Masters 40 to 44-year-old three-kilometer world record. Did you get it? Listen in as we catch Dean talking us through the last few laps of this world record attempt. By this point, I feel you get to the halfway point. Unless you're completely blowing up, you can start thinking about you know counting the laps to go. And basically, by four laps to go, I'm, I'm starting to go all out. And get, all that means is it doesn't mean you're speeding up at all. It means you're going all out just to hold on to the same pace. Um, your breathing is just frantic, hyperventilating. Your, your throat's really burning at this point. And Obviously, your legs are screaming. There's all kinds of lactic acid in your body. Uh, but you're truly just focused on the pace and getting that la- next lap split to be where you want it to be. I think we uh, have, uh, I don't hear them, but we probably have two or three laps to go. And at this point, you, re- you really want it to end, uh, but you're just completely driven uh, by the chance to break the record. I, was, I knew I was in schedule. And uh, my laps were slipping at this point with about four to go. You'll probably hear the bell. Uh, they'll ring a bell. Guys like life. yelling, like they know you're on pace. You're. Yes, it's just a matter of. If I knew I could get the 11th lap on pace. Uh, there's the bell. So one lap to go. Uh, and it's a fixed gear bike, so at this speed, the bike itself carries you most of the way. You just try not to slow down at all the last lap. Do you know if you're going to get the record at this point? I'm confident I'm on pace, but at this point, all you care about is finishing and then doing something else. Uh, you know, once this thing's over. So he did give me the final split down. It actually wasn't a bad last lap. I would have thought it was slower, but it, it, I take a few laps to slow down. And it actually took me a while to uh, to get off the bike. And uh, at that altitude, so I feel like it wrecked me a little bit more than usual. So so did you get the world record? I did. So the record was 3 minutes, 24.9 seconds. I went 322.7. So a full two seconds under. So I was really happy with that. Average speed about? Uh, after the standing start, it was close to 35 miles an hour. And what uh, what power? Yeah, the power is that you. Uh, a lot of folks ask me about power, and it's it's at altitude, so it's a little bit less. So my last three minutes was about 400 watts, and uh, um, the, I think the whole thing was 435. Yet at sea level, it's about 500. So you can see about a 15 percent power drop being at 6,200 feet altitude. But the the lower aerodynamic drag of the faster track more than offsets that. At least in this case, it did. How's it feel to hold the world record? It, it feels great. I'm glad it's done. I'm, I'm really glad I did it. And, uh, but it doesn't stop there. I'm already looking forward to the next event. So there you have it. The event. relentless pursuit of cycling aerodynamics paid off for Dean with world titles and that all-important world record. So this aero journey, has it inspired you? Maybe it's given you enough inspiration to go out and find some gains of your own. Not just in an aero tuck. I've got riders I coach talking about once they were aware of their best positions on a time trial bike, they could even transfer that across to their road bike or their mountain bike. And they were reducing times in all sorts of scenarios. 
If testing interests you, I'll put up some resources on this episode's page, which will live at semiprocycling.com forward slash Dean. And also get Dean to jump into the comments of that page. So fire your aero testing questions at him, or you could just contact him directly at fitworks.com. Going forward, as noted by prominent sports tech blogger DC Rainmaker, Aero is the biggest new potential area for the next year as far as a market opportunity presents itself. There's a whole bunch of products going into the marketplace, and he believes that they could be like power meters all over again if done right. And I tend to agree. With a smattering of Aero coaching services and products on the market, it's an area ripe for expansion and something I want to dig into in another episode because of all of the cool stuff that's there. And especially how cool would it be to have a live CDA number during your ride so you can adjust position and get as aero as possible in real time? Yeah, I know. Totally cool. If you are new to semi-pro cycling, check out the back catalogue of shows on all aspects of performance at semiprocycling.com. Or sign up for the weekly workout stack, the guide that shows you how to structure your training week and use your time more effectively. And I'll send you the best of our episodes straight to your inbox. All right. Well, I'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.